Genesis 37, I'd like us to study the fact that the Lord was with this gentleman by the name of Joseph. He was a young man of about 17 years of age as a number of these things began. But I'm going to read with verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. A little background with regard to Joseph. In chapter 30, I believe it was, he was born. And then in one of the later chapters, his mother died giving birth to his younger brother, Benjamin. The time frame in which he lived during the era of the patriarchs, you obviously can see that somebody would have more than one wife. This whole connection is important because typically the wife who was loved, if she bore seed, then quite naturally the love that the man had for that woman very often was then conferred upon the children that came from the one that he loved. We know from Scripture that it said, Rachel he loved, but the scripture also says Leah was hated. But each of them had a maid that was given to them to help look after them. And when it seemed as if children wouldn't come, then uh, sometimes they turned those maids over to the spouses. How'd you like to be in an arrangement like that? Wouldn't be good for the gal. There'd be a lot of men smiling. But that certainly is a predicament I'm glad we don't know anything about here. So when we come into Genesis 37, we start seeing how God takes one young man and is going to demonstrate his love and favor for him. And this is despite betrayal, despite jealousy. So I want you to understand that other people's problems with you may pose an obstacle to what God wants to do, but they cannot stop what God is wanting to do. And we may not be able to understand all of the ways and means by which God gets us from point A to point B, but we just need to know he's getting us to point B. That's the, that's the key. So verse 1, Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger. Jacob is dwelling in the promised land that had been promised to Abraham and then to his father Isaac. So notice the connection as it's going down through the generations. Jacob is doing what his father and grandfather did. His grandfather, Abraham, owned livestock, likely farm. And that's what his father did. So Jacob is doing the exact same thing. Abraham's God became Isaac's God, which then in turn becomes Jacob's God. And Jacob, having gone to live in ancient Mesopotamia for a very long time, he comes back to the land that was promised to his family. Now, if, if, if God has 
commissioned you to be somewhere, you, you may go away for a season, but you're eventually going to come back to where God wants you. And this is what we have in the story of Jacob. He was gone for a couple of decades, but the Lord brought him right back to the land of promise. And you can notice this is wherein his father was a stranger, because when Abraham came from the area of Iraq and moved into this area, he was a foreigner, an immigrant. The Hittites were in the land. And God took a land that had been inhabited by other people and told Abraham, your seed are going to possess the land. Now, somebody might ask the question, "Okay, well, how can God take someone's land and then give it to another people? Well, let's never forget the scripture says the earth is the Lord's Doesn't say it's mine or yours belongs to God. And God can proclaim in advance what people are going to live in a particular place. And it'll come to pass just like he says it doesn't mean that doesn't matter whether or not people uh, agree with it. God has never been interested with whether or not modern societies and journalists like the fact that he made a promise to Abraham about the land uh, being possessed by Abraham's seed. That's prophesied in scripture. That's never going to change regardless of what anybody at the United Nations or anybody here in America has to say about that. It's just the, the, the truth of the matter is the earth of the Lord or earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So the land of Canaan <clears throat> became the place of promise, even though it was a place of idolatry. Where God leads you, the places that God takes you in the beginning may not look like what it's going to look like in the end. Transformation occurs as God reproduces on the land. He produces more seed. If you want to get rid of paganism in the land, you have to change the hearts of the people. Or you have to change the people that are there. When, when people talk about uh, trying to run the devil out of a town, the only way you're going to run the devil out of a town is you've got to convert a town to Christianity. It doesn't matter if everybody walks up and down the road and, and proclaims to the heavens, uh, Satan, you're not going to control Hebron, and I command you to let go of Hebron, and you're not going to have power over Thayer County. You can do all of that, but wherever there are sinners, there is sin. And wherever there is sin, the devil has rights. And the only way to change a, a culture and produce the worship of God, you have to convert the hearts of the people that are there. And if enough people convert in Hebron or in Thayer County or any other place, then the devil loses his sway and power there anyhow. We know that from Acts chapter 8. Philip went and preached in Samaria and it says the whole city came to know the Lord and there was great joy there. And there was a man who had been a sorcerer and even he converted. You see, so where there had been power of the adversary, it now was 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 dealt with. Uh, I can't number the people when I first came to Nebraska told me how difficult it is to do ministry here. And they, they I would always hear this phrase. They say the heavens over Nebraska are brass, which is to say your prayers can't get through and God won't do anything. And it's just a religious spirit that controls the whole state. And you'll never be able to see God do anything in this state. But I never believed any of it because I knew that the way to bring blessing and change is to touch people one person at a time. If you can change a heart, then you change a life. If you can change a life, 
then you've, you have taken the cords away from the adversary and he no longer has a puppet that he can control. And the more people that genuinely come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. So verse 2, we're looking at the lineage of Jacob. A 17-year-old boy is feeding the flock. If you have seen pictures of the Middle East, you will notice that sometimes they'll have an eight-year-old girl out there leading the sheep. She'll be right out in the middle of the desert taking them from here to there. Doesn't have anything to do with how old they are, just so long as the sheep know who is in charge. Uh, the father will leave a little boy that's nine years old out there, and they know exactly where to go and what to do. I've seen little kids sitting on a hillside and all of the sheep out there grazing and the little kids up on the hillside playing and having a good time. The sheep know not to go anywhere. Here's a 17-year-old boy. He's feeding the flock with his brothers. And then it tells us who their mothers are, Jacob's wives. But it says, Joseph brought an evil report. Now, I don't know if Jacob was a talebearer who was just wanting to gossip, or if we follow his life all the way where he became the number two man in Egypt, he was just a good steward. See, some people who are good stewards over other people's possessions, even if it's blood kin, they don't want to see anything done the wrong way. And I think Joseph was probably that kind of a person. He knew that if his father had committed something to his care as a shepherd, he ought to do and conduct himself in a way that would bring blessing and honor to his father. The scripture says in the Proverbs that a bad child brings shame to mom and dad, can even bring gray hair to mom and dad. And maybe some of you would be less one or two strands of gray hair, or maybe one or two of you caused some gray hair uh, for, for, for some other people. But uh, a child like Joseph, who is honest and forthright and comes and tells dad the bad stuff that is going on that the other ones don't want him to know about, there are a lot of parents who would be happy with, with that. Yeah, they, 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 they like that. <clears throat> now, in a, in a home where you've got more than one kid, uh, if you've got one kid that likes to tell things, the other kids don't usually like that. Yeah. And with, with my two older brothers and me being the baby, I was the one that liked to tell things. I, 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 did, I did any and everything to get my brothers in trouble. When, when my oldest brother had snuck some cigarettes into the house and kept them in his sock drawer, I went to the sock drawer and came down to the breakfast table as a little seven or eight year old. And with mom and pop sitting there, I just pulled the pack out and put the cigarette to my mouth. Just like that. And of course, of course, they were quite angry that my older brother uh, did that. But by the time they finished dancing with me, they, they knew I wasn't supposed I knew I wasn't supposed to have that in my hand again. So I, I was constantly doing stuff, getting people in trouble. So, so very often when, when my mom and them said they're going shopping, I would beg them to take me with them and not leave me at home. 
because my my brother Rick and my brother Anthony, they would they would be standing in the living room, and I'd be in the kitchen. And the way our driveway was, the garage in the back, and so I could stand here at this window, watch the cars just going out the driveway, then I'd run to that window and watch as they were making their turn going to where they were going. And the whole time I was following that car and looking out the window, I could hear in the background my brother saying, the car will be out of the driveway soon, and you will belong to us. (laughs) So... So suffice it to say, in that regard, I think I understand why Joseph wasn't loved by his siblings. However, verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. I suppose that where you have more than one child, favoritism doesn't always play out the right way in the household. And the kids... They don't mind letting mom and dad know which one they think is the spoiled one or the favored one. And they'll just say it right offhand. Well, you don't love me like so-and-so. When we were little, you, you were strict on me, but you let that one do everything. I mean, I hear that all the time from my brothers. But, you know, by, by the time I came along, I, I just think my older brothers had just wore my parents down. They were just tired. So w- with me, it was, a, it was a whole lot different. But the love that Joseph received from his father, even though it was more than all his children, I don't doubt that Israel loved his children. It just said he conferred more adoration and affection upon the one. If you had done that as a parent, do you think, one of the other kids would have been angry? Yeah, yeah. Especially if it was noticeable. But it tells us why he was like that, because he was the son of his old age. Well, that, that means that Rachel, being the one that he loved, Rachel was unable to conceive for a very long time. And you'll remember how uh, Rachel wanted a child, and she had to watch as everybody else was, was giving birth. And so the scripture then goes on to say that Israel made a coat of many colors. It's one thing for people to know that you love one child more than the other, but then when you begin to demonstrate it through gifts, that produces problems. You can say and do certain things for one person more than you do for other people, and then pretty soon it's going to create the hostility. Some hostility and enmity and jealousy we create on our own. And you have to be careful how you, how you deal with that. Now, I can tell you how one time, I almost created this with some preachers one time. I, I was telling some, some local preachers at a ministerial fellowship one time. We were all sitting around talking about our churches and stuff. And, and so they were talking about all the problems in their church and the strife and the discord and this person don't like this person and so on and so forth. And, and I just kind of said, I just don't have any of that. I said, these people just love each other, and I'm just so glad I get to preach to people like that. Well, you know, you say that three or four months in a row, and people get tired of hearing it. Yeah, they, they, they just get tired of hearing it. And, and pretty soon, it, it builds up in them a hostility towards people they haven't even met. You understand that? 
And it can also happen in reverse. You can get around a bunch of Christians who really are quite displeased with their pastors. And they can talk about how much they don't like them and they can tell you everything is wrong with them. And then you come along and you just say, oh, my, we just love our pastor and go on and on. And then pretty soon there'll be people that hate your pastor. And, and they may not have ever met him at all or her at all. Hostility can be created in a variety of different ways. You hang that coat of many colors on people, sometimes with your speech. Sometimes by your actions. So verse four, when the brethren saw the father loved him more, they hated him. Notice how the hatred came about. The hatred came about because of the actions of the father. They noticed what the father was doing. Do you think there are people to get get upset with you because God is blessing you maybe more than he's blessing them? There probably are people who may not. Be too pleased with you because of how God blessed you with a nice home or how God has blessed you with a nice vehicle. Maybe sometimes even the way you dress can provoke in people uh, some kind of uh, envy because they say, I just don't understand why every time you see her, she just has to have on something nice. Or How come every time you see him, he just always has to have on something nice. See, all of that can produce in people a lot of weird kinds of feelings. But for you, you recognize you've got a heavenly father that loves you and is blessing you. So your relationship with God hasn't changed. In fact, you love God even more. It's just we have to learn to deal with the hostility that comes from people that may be jealous of us. Well, I don't know why, why he was able to get that job promotion. He shouldn't even have it. I mean, after all, his degree isn't even in that or he doesn't have a degree at all. Well, how did he end up with that kind of a job? It's, it's that kind of envy that we have to deal with as Christians. Now, quickly go to Ephesians chapter 1 in the New Testament, then we'll come back over here. Ephesians chapter 1. And if you don't know this verse, you ought to get this verse Memorized. Ephesians 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're blessed. Never allow anybody to talk you into believing you're cursed. Don't let anybody talk you into believing you can be cursed. You are blessed because of your position in Christ. And when the Lord conferred blessing upon you, through your relationship in Jesus, you need to know what all that brings into your life. The scripture says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. That means I don't have to feel bad or shameful about the fact that God looks after me as his child. If I do what I'm supposed to do, then I should be able to expect that the Lord will take care of me as, as his sheep. So this is uh, one of those blessings that's, that's important. What if somebody came up to you and said, you know what, I really don't like you, and I am going to see a witch doctor. You have angered me so much, I'm going to see a witch doctor, and I'm going to give them $40 to put a hex on you. 
And then they go there and pull out a little dial and then they're just sticking pins all in it. And as they're sticking pins in it, they're hoping that it's producing pain. And if somebody told me they were going to do that to me, I'd probably laugh at them. I say, have at it. If you want to bring the dial to my front yard, sit out there on the sidewalk and stick as many needles in as you want to, because I'll never be cursed. I'm blessed. That's Ephesians one and three. And when you know that, your sibling's jealousy won't cause you any problems. You'll just learn to love people despite their anger. Uh, when, when I used to come home from the Marine Corps, my brothers who all live within three or four miles of my parents and are always there eating up all the food visiting her, taking her out to eat, and doing all kind of stuff like that. When, when I would come home, then my mom wanted to throw a big, huge party and invite all the family. See? And <clears throat> I'd get home, and, and then I'd have to hear from my mom. She said, you know, your brothers were saying, well, okay, I, I, I guess Daryl must be coming home because you, you're making all this food, you see. Well, I, I never let it bother me. I just enjoyed it all. I knew I wasn't getting home but once every 18 months. I knew they were seeing her all the time. And, and, and sometimes they'd make snide remarks and, and um, derogatory statements. They knew I loved the Lord. They knew I was a Christian. So they all called me Little Black Jesus. They say, so Little Black Jesus is coming home. And you're just going to do this and you're going to do that for him. And we're here all the time. So whenever I'd hear that, I just I just ignore that, just brush that off and just enjoy mom and pop's love and affection. You cannot live your life according to other people's displeasure. If you do, you'll never be happy because you will always find there's somebody who's not pleased with how God is blessing you. But it says here, they hated him and couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Now, I've never had that kind of long-term hostility with my family, but I would assume there are people who haven't talked to their siblings in decades. In years, for whatever reason it might be. But when I look at this, I, I can't help but think hatred rarely is born in a person's heart overnight. There are a lot of different things that build up to create this. And when it gets so bad that you cannot even say something nice to someone. That's pretty bad. Yeah, pretty bad. I used to pastor a man who <clears throat> is now in heaven, but he had a sister that he didn't like. And I think they went maybe 40 years hating each other. And I can always remember when I teach in the Bible study in the other church, at some point, if I was dealing with forgiveness, he'd raise his hand and he'd want to say, but pastor, you don't understand, 
Whenever I would come back from out of state and visit my family, my sisters would needle me and produce all kinds of problems and call me all kinds of names, and I hated them. And I'm not leaving them one dime in my will. As he, he would say that every time I was dealing with forgiveness. And, and finally, I said to him, after one of those teachings, and he was going on and on about that, just killing the whole spirit of the Bible study, I finally said to him afterwards, you know, I'm really beginning to believe that you enjoy bitterness. You enjoy how it tastes. You enjoy devouring it. Somehow for you, it, it, it gives you pleasure that you can live in this unforgiveness because Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you say he lives in you. So if he lives in you, then the, 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 the issue of forgiveness is you're capable of forgiving, forgiving. You're just not willing to forgive. And if you're going to be like that, please don't raise your hand no more. I don't want to hear this anymore, you see. And, and finally, God, God worked on him about that uh, to the point where he and his sister could have a relationship and talk to one another. See, folks, the whole key is if you're around family members that you don't get along with and they don't like you and, and you're sitting in a room, what you need to know is you don't live with them. And you only have to be around them for a few minutes or a couple hours. And whatever they say to you or about you has no power over you unless you react and respond to what they're saying to you. But if you don't let it bother you at all, and you just ignore them, that produces even a greater problem for them. Now, of course, the, the, depending on how everything's happening, they may be saying the kinds of things that are embarrassing you or demeaning you in front of your family, maybe demeaning your spouse or your children, and every now and then you've got to open up your mouth and certainly defend them. But all I'm trying to get you to see is, uh, family, they can only control you if they control the cords to your heart and your emotions. But if you don't let them have power over your emotions, you're going to be just fine. Even when they throw you in the pit, you're going to be just fine. So verse 5, it tells us with all of this going on, in the middle of this kind of hostile environment, Joseph went to sleep and had a dream. 17 years of age, you know as well as I do, 17-year-olds don't know that much, even though they tend to think they do. We all thought we did. Some things we tell and say we probably should have kept to ourselves. Here's a dream he probably shouldn't have been articulating. But he had the dream, and of course, he's out in the field binding sheaves of grain, and he notices he stands upright, and everybody Everybody else's sheep bows down. Yeah. And you know what? When he woke up, he, 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 didn't, he, he didn't say, well, this, this, this is really something. God may be talking to me. We ought to just wait and see how God brings this to pass. Oh, no. He ran to the breakfast table. He said, brothers, look, I've got good news. You hate me. You despise me. But one day you're going to bow before me. Look at me. Well, do you, you think that, that made them love him anymore? No. No, but look, the love was gone anyhow. So they had questions. What, are you going to rule and reign over us? They hated him more. 
because of his dreams and his words. Now, he couldn't control the dream. The dream came from God, but he could control the words. But even the words provoked them. So verse nine. He went to sleep and dreamed again. He probably was thinking, oh, this sleep thing is getting good. The sun, the moon and the stars bowed before him. And even his dad got into the angry mode this time and said, what do you think? I also am going to bow down and going to be less than you and you're going to rule and reign over me. And it says dad rebuked him. Now, of course, dad's rebuking him because dad doesn't understand the dream and dad doesn't know the future. And when we don't know what's up ahead, we tend to say things that later we remember was wrong. And later on, when the father finds out the son isn't dead, but he's actually running all of Egypt and he's got to eat crow. Because he realizes that Joseph was a man that was on track with God. But notice verse 11, it says his brothers envied him, but the father observed the saying. Hatred, envy, it's a hostile environment. Joseph is having dreams of the Lord. And I want you to know that just because you're in a bad circumstance, that does not mean God's going to stop talking to you. If he has something he wants to say to you, he'll get that message across. It could come through you reading the Bible. It could come through a prophecy. However, God wants to speak a dream. He can bring his word into your life. And verse 12 says the brethren were feeding the flock at Shechem. This is a place where Abraham had a relationship with God building an altar. Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brother feeding the flock in Shechem? You go check them. See, that's where they're supposed to be. You go check on them. I've heard this plenty of times. Of, of, of parents where they, they, they told me that when uh, their teenagers told them they were going to spend the night at somebody's house. And then mom and dad had to drive by the house to see if the vehicle was in the driveway. Yeah. Or occasions where kids ask, can they spend the night at a friend's house without explaining to their mom and dad that their friend's parents are going to be gone. Don't you love that? Oh, yes, you, you got to be. You, you got to be on top of it. And, and so, so Israel said, hold on. They're, they're supposed to be feeding those sheep. I'm going to send somebody I can trust, somebody I love. Joseph, please go check on those brethren. Now, I, w- I guarantee you, after everything that takes place, Israel wished he'd never send Joseph out there in the first place. Yeah. Some decisions you make you wish you could get back. He said, go see whether it be well with the brethren and with the flocks. Got to check and see if it's okay with them because you know what kind of mischief they'll get in. They'll get to fighting with one another. Uh, they'll, go to this. they'll leave the sheep here out in the field. They'll head to town and, and start, start doing some things. And you bring me word again. So that's exactly what he did. In verse 15, he found a man out there who was wandering around. And, and the man said, what, what are you looking for? And, and he said, I'm looking for my brethren. They're feeding the flocks. And he said, they departed from here. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. What does it say in verse 12? His brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. You go to places you're not supposed to be. You tend to do things you shouldn't do. And this 
often happens with people. We hear the Lord say, you can eat of every tree in the garden but this one. Then you go to where you're not supposed to be where the fruit is at. And then pretty soon you end up eating the fruit that God said you're not supposed to eat. Yeah. We, we, we've, we've had those conversations where the parents have to say to us, well, why did you do what you did? Well, everybody else was doing it. Well, if everybody else jumped off a cliff, would you jump off? Well, yeah. See, that, that's the answer most kids basically would give because they're doing what everybody else did. So here they are now in Dothan and Joseph goes after his brethren and he finds them. And verse 18, when they look and see him from afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to slay him. So once they saw him, their anger was roused to the point that they said, let's figure out a way to rid ourselves of this brother. Now You have to really dislike a sibling to want to see him dead. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a bad, bad relationship. Now, I, I've never wanted to see uh, my brothers in the grave for anything they've done to me or said to me. Uh, if I'm honest, I will say there have been times I'd want to sell them off and, and send them to Egypt or something like that, but ne- never wanted to have a funeral or, or anything like that. But verse 19, they said one to another, behold, the dreamer cometh. So they're using the title, the dreamer, this dreamer, as a derogatory statement. This guy lives in a world that's a world of fiction. And in his world, we're second class. He's better than us. Come and let's kill him and cast him into some pit. And then, you know, one One bad decision leads to a second one. And then we will say, see, we're going to lie. We will say an evil beast ate him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So so understand, first of all, that the death of someone uh, doesn't always destroy the dream that God has necessarily given. Okay. There have been a lot of times in scripture where the dream has outlived the person who died. Read the story of Daniel. Daniel prophesied about a lot of things that take place at the end of the age. He's dead, but little by little stuff is still coming to pass. He prophesied and said in the last days, he said knowledge would increase. You can't tell me knowledge hadn't increased. It took mankind 59 years, 5,900 years to get faster than a horse. But there are people in this world today over the age of 100 who in their lifetime, they've seen this world go from Two and three story buildings to skyscrapers. They've seen rockets go up in space and they've been able to see the kind of technology that made it possible for them to speak to their great great grandchildren on the other side of the planet through a telephone. So Daniel was right when he said knowledge would increase in the, the, the last days. And he said those that know their God shall do exploits. Look at the great deeds and feats being done in these last days in the name of the Lord as people are proclaiming the gospel and good things are taking place. 120 years ago, somebody started a hospital in Jesus' name. We thought that was a wonderful thing. They did it in India, over in the Philippines. But now you see mass meetings where you have sometimes four and 500,000 people meeting in a field and you can see an entire village come to Christ through one message. A 
amazing. Absolutely amazing. The dreams don't always die. But verse, verse 20 says that they wanted to kill him and put him in a pit. The scripture teaches if you dig a hole for your neighbor, it's likely you're going to fall into it. And that's true. You set a trap for your neighbor, and you'll probably be the one, ultimately, who'll be ensnared in trouble. On the front end, Joseph is going to have a whole lot of troubles and problems that, to be quite honest with you, I would have wished the Lord would have spared him. On the back end, Joseph is going to be the number two man in the whole nation And when he's in that position, he's now able to save his own family who brought him all of the harm. And he can say to them in the end, all of what you did, you meant it for my evil. God meant it for my good. It wasn't you that sent me down here, but him. So understanding that even when we pass through a specific set of circumstances. Not every evil, bad thing that comes to you has anything to do with God. But, but there are a specific set of circumstances that can come into your life that the Lord himself, though he's not the one producing them, he can still see that through those circumstances it's going to ultimately put you in a position where you can help and bless a lot of people. He goes from the pit to the palace in Egypt and to the prison Then he goes to the throne, right back to the palace. And that's a period of what, 30 years or so? Yeah, it's a long time. And I'm sure at the age of 19, he probably was thinking, well, God, now would be a good time to bring that dream to pass. And at about the age of 24, he probably was thinking now would be a good time to bring this dream to pass. That lady's running around trying to chase him, telling him how wonderful it would be if they could get to know each other. Yeah. Then he ends up in jail. I don't know how long he was down there in jail, but I'm sure even while he was in jail, he was thinking now would be a good time, God. To bring all of this to pass. But later on, when you get to chapter thirty nine, what you quickly see is verse after verse says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Don't ever think your circumstances have anything to do with God leaving you. The devil cannot cause God to flee from you. And if God is with you, blessing will be upon you, whether you're in the pit or whether you're in the prison. Once God puts his hands on you to bless you, even if you're surrounded by bad people, God will still make you flourish and he'll do wonderful things for you. And that's why you shouldn't be discouraged by the people you work with or the people who are your neighbors The people you worship with, you should be encouraged by the presence of God. If you have him, you know he's going to lead you and guide you. Well, let's let's tie up these loose hands here. Verse 21, 22. Reuben heard and he delivered him out of his hands and said, let's not kill him. So the oldest brother said, let's spare his life at least. Let's not forget, the first dream dream that he had, he had a dream of all of his siblings bowing down to him. Now, the custom was the oldest child would be the one with power and authority. That would be Reuben. But even Reuben didn't believe Joseph's dream that was going to put him 
in control of the whole clan. And Reuben said, let's not shed any blood, but cast them into this pit that's in the wilderness. Let's not lay our hands upon them that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to the father again. So he's got he's got a little conniving plan here. The last thing he wants is to see their sibling dead. And then they've got to go and tell daddy how this happened. But these these brothers were tricky. And while he was gone, sure enough, uh, they, they got rid of him. But verse 24 tells us, though, after they stripped him out of that coat, they put him in the pit. Think that was a happy time? No. No. I, I'm willing to believe that while Joseph was down there, he's probably screaming and yelling, please let me out of here. I'm your kin. I'm your family. How can you do this to me? These are his brethren. But John chapter 1 says of Jesus, he came to his own. His own didn't receive him. His own brethren cast him out. His own brethren mistreated him. They're the ones that led him to be crucified. But they sat down and they ate their bread. How do you sit down to a meal knowing that your brother is in a pit and you have conspired to sell him? It didn't bother them at all. Some people have no conscience. None at all. And when you think about people in your own family and you say uh, things like this, well, I, I just can't believe he or she could do that. You'd be surprised what people can do. This human nature is depraved. It has a sin principle that operates within it. And given the right set of emotions, you'd be surprised what a man or woman would do if they gave in. To those emotions. Judah said in verse 26. What profit is it if we slay our brother. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Verse 27. Let's sell him to our cousins. Our own relatives. What kind of relatives even purchase their own cousin as a slave. Then in the end of course. You can see they sold him off in verse 31. Took the coat. Killed a, a kid of the goats, dipped the coat in the blood, and then went and sat down and told daddy in verses 32, 33, here's the coat of the son that you loved. An evil beast has destroyed him. In verse 34, Jacob tore his clothes off and mourned for his son many days. How do you sit down with your father for meal after meal knowing after you, you told one big fat lie, and they did it for decades. Yeah. You say family members can do that to family? You got it right here in the book. They'll just lie and just act like there's nothing wrong at all. This is why the scripture says provide things honest in the sight of all men. Because eventually that lie catches up with you. Later on, when they find out that Joseph is alive and Joseph holds on to Benjamin, and sends them all back. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly on the hut inside of that wall when they had to explain to dad, Joseph really didn't die, but we sold him. 
And we haven't seen him all this time. And we went to Egypt to buy some corn. And daddy, he's running the nation up there. I would have loved to have been in on that conversation. Because you would have thought Jacob would have cleaned house with every one of them kids. But he was so overjoyed to know his son was alive. That that's the only thing that was on his mind. So regardless of how Jesus was treated 2,000 years ago, regardless of the betrayal, we rejoice because he's alive. See, he's alive. No matter what anybody else says, we know he's alive and there have been witnesses. Amen? Praise God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, how wonderful it is to know that your son got up out of that grave. He is our heavenly Joseph. He came down into this world and he secured a beautiful path of redemption and salvation for each and every person that have come to him. Father, we pray you continually lead and guide us in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.